Welcome to Leonard Birdsong Radio on TalkZone.com. Your host, Leonard Birdsong, is a law professor, a former diplomat, and a former federal prosecutor who's here to inform and entertain you with a mix of humor, opinion, and information. Now, here's Leonard Birdsong. That's right, this is Leonard Birdsong, Leonard Birdsong Radio, and as Dave has told you, my show is a unique blend of humor, opinion, storytelling, and information. This is the second show of my uh, second season. Today is June 22nd, 2017. We're going to hear some dumb criminal law stories as usual. Um, I'm going to talk about the creator of the greatest lawyer in the world, Perry Mason, we're going to have a guest, a colleague of mine who started a nonprofit organization here in Central Florida. There will be some news tidbits and some riddles. Now, let me start out today by saying I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy to be back with you. It's been a good week. Summer has started. As a matter of fact, yesterday, most of you know, was what we call the summer solstice. It officially began at 1224. A.M. The date and timing of the solstice depends on when the sun reaches its northernmost point of the equator. Now, the summer solstice is the longest day of the year. It's the day with the most hours of sunlight during the whole year. June 21st this year was um, the solstice. That was yesterday. We had over 15 hours of daylight. Sunrise was about 5.24 a.m., and sunset was 8.31 p.m. The word solstice comes from a Latin word called solstitium, and that means it's broken down into sol, which means sun in Latin, and stitium, which means stop. The ancient Romans thought the sun is higher in the sky throughout the day during this period, and its rays struck Earth at a more direct angle, causing the warmth we associate with summer. In ancient Egypt, summer was the start of the new year. The rise of the star Sirius roughly coincided with the summer solstice and the annual flooding of the Nile River. Admit it was time for planting. You know, at noon on the day of the summer solstice, you'll be able to cast your shortest shadow of the year. Why? Because of the height of the sun. Now, the first day of summer is not usually the hottest day of the summer, although the northern hemisphere gets its most direct sunlight in the summer solstice, the hottest day of summer doesn't usually occur until July or August. Why is that? Well, it's because for several more weeks the amount of solar energy arriving at the ground is greater than the amount leaving the earth. So there's everything you need to know about the summer solstice, but you were afraid to ask. But Leonard Birdsong is here to give you these little facts that you might want to know and tell your friends about it. Now, all of you know that my hobby is collecting and writing about and talking to you on the radio about my dumb criminal law stories. I've been working on some new stories this summer. I'm going to read you some of them. It's a hobby. I've done serious writing. We'll continue to do some serious writing over the years, but these are just funny. Let's start out with some of the stories I've been developing this summer. 
first one comes from Alaska. Here's the headline. You should always listen to the headline. Headline, cardboard box-headed thief? Authorities report that a man in Anchorage, Alaska, has been robbing businesses at knife point with a cardboard box on his head. The bandit robbed two liquor stores and a filling station a few weeks ago. Quote, some goofball wearing a cardboard box with two eye holes punched out came in and threatened her, end quote, said Kevin Wright, whose girlfriend was working at the gas station at the time she was robbed. <laughs> cardboard box-headed thief. All right, where's our next story from? Let me get to it. California. Headline, gluten-free meth? A police department in Newark, California, is offering to make drug, uh, making sure drug users, crystal meth is gluten-free. The police department posted a photo on Facebook showing some crystal meth and a glass pipe with a caption. The caption read, quote, is your meth laced with deadly gluten? Not sure. Bring your meth down to the police department and we will test it for you for free, end quote. <laughs> it's been reported that no one has taken up the friendly offer. <laughs> Gluten-free meth. <laughs> Here's another one from California. Did the teacher have to go, says the headline? Did the teacher have to go? It's been reported that an eighth grader at the Jack G. Desmond Middle School in the town of Madeira, California, has been suspended for slipping eight laxatives into a teacher's coffee in mid-May. This is according to school officials. The student may also face criminal charges, even though none of the pills dissolved or were ingested, according to other police officials. Did the teacher have to go? <laughs> we may never know. Here's a strange one from China. Headline. He tried to sober up with grass. A drunken driver was so drunk when he rolled his Mercedes up to a police checkpoint, he got out of the car and started scarfing down grass on the side of the road, authorities report. Quote, I wasn't drinking, I wasn't driving, the man yelled. Of course, it didn't help. Tests showed his blood alcohol t content was over the legal limit, and yes, he was arrested. Another story from overseas, this one from the country of Colombia. The headline, Follow the Money. A Colombian woman swallowed $7,000 in U.S. currency to keep it from her husband in a, bit, in a bitter divorce dispute. In terrible pain, the woman went to a Santana University hospital in Colombia where doctors actually removed $5,700 in American currency from her stomach. Quote, the dollar notes were washed and are in good condition, but the rest of the money was lost because of the gastric fluids, end quote, said a surgeon who did the surgery. $7,000 ingested, 5700 removed. Wonder if the husband will get it. <laughs> Any of you seen the movie Training Day? It came out in about 2001. This story out of Florida, the headline says, Training Day Idiot. The story. A Florida sheriff's deputy was recently fired for whipping out his service weapon 
and reciting lines from Denzel Washington's character in the movie Training Day. His name, Dean Zipes, a Lake County deputy sheriff, allegedly pulled out the weapon in his office twice before launching into a profanity-laced monologue from the 2001 police drama. Zipes also allegedly performed a mock stick-up on a pizza delivery boy. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, gosh, that is funny. Yeah. Okay, all right. Another story from Florida. He romanced the stone. A Panama City man, that's Panama City, Florida, tried to romance an uninterested lady by leaving a pair of ladies' underwear in her car as a gift. However, the creeped-out woman who who already had a boyfriend reported him to police for breaking into her car. His name? Isitro Sanchez, 58. He was charged with burglary and stalking. No, no, no. Do not leave ladies' underwear in a prospective girlfriend's car. No, no. Another story from Florida. Headline is a long one. A traffic bust? The fashion police should have been called in. That's the headline. A traffic bust? The fashion police should have been called. It seems as an Indian River, Florida man, was wearing a hot pink bra when police handcuffed him for driving without a proper license. Buford Carroll, 30, was swerving and smelled of alcohol when sheriff's deputies pulled him over. Along with his pink bra, Carroll also sported a tattoo of the Statue of Liberty holding a gun. He was arrested for driving with a restricted license. I still don't get, I still don't get the pink, hot pink bra. All right, it's not that funny, but it's funny. All right. Sticking with Florida. A lot of these stories come from Florida, folks. The headline in this case, the headline said it was rough justice. Rough being R-U-F-F. Rough justice. Police were summoned to arrest a pizza parlor burger, burglar found inside the business. Police say they asked the alleged burglar, identified as Joseph Pellegrini, at Hungry Howie's in Winter Haven, Florida, to step out or face a police dog. Pellegrini decided to stay put. Minutes later, K-9 Recon entered, bit him on the leg, and after a struggle, the suspect was quietly arrested. Rough, rough. <laughs> rough, rough. <laughs> I love it. I love it. these stories. Just they just never go away. Well, again, these stories don't go away. They're always dumb criminal law stories, and some of them are just weird criminal law stories. This one from Japan. The headline read: "Boom Closet." It has been reported that some residents of Hiroshima, or Hiroshima, I think Hiroshima is the real way you pronounce it, discovered that their bedroom closet was a boom closet. Yes, they found an unexploded World War II bomb tucked away in a cupboard in May of this year. The Japanese army blocked off the surrounding streets after the startled citizens reported the 18-pound munition. 
It was removed and detonated elsewhere. It's unclear how the bomb, which was of Japanese make, ended up in the closet. Boom closet. <laughs> All right, here, here's a funny one. You know, I, I went hunting once. It was horrible. I didn't shoot anything, and the noise of the shotguns hurt my ears. But here's a story about hunters in Kansas. The headline, do not use turkey feathers to hunt turkeys. Two men shielding themselves with turkey feathers in hopes of attracting by hunters in their own party who mistook them for the birds. Gary Deans and Justin Wiles were shot by Gary's brother Kenneth, but will survive, according to Kansas wildlife officials. This happened in Crawford County, Kansas. Be careful when you hunt in Crawford County, folks. All right. Here's the last one I'm going to tell you. It comes from Massachusetts. Yes, Massachusetts. Matter of fact, wait, I got two of them from Massachusetts. Here's the first one. The headline for this one said, Boy Rats Out Dad. An 11-year-old from the town of Lawrence, Massachusetts, called 911 after he found heroin in his father's suitcase. Earlier in the day, the boy spotted his dad dealing the dope, according to police. Police allegedly found 200 grams of heroin inside luggage belonging to the father, Yamil Mercado who's 40. Yes, dad was arrested. Headline, boy rats out dad. No, no, no. All right, finally, another story from Massachusetts. Headline, who in the heck attaches a hammock to their chimney? An Amherst, Massachusetts man was hurt recently when his hammock attached to his chimney on his roof collapsed. Fire Chief Walter Nelson called the man extremely lucky that when the chimney gave way while he was napping, he suffered only minor injuries. To which I say, who in the heck attaches a hammock to their chimney? All right, folks, that's enough. Okay, that's enough. All right, Liz, we're going to take a pause for the cause here. I'm going to come back and tell you a little story about the man who created the greatest lawyer in the world, that's Perry Mason. Stay with me. This is Leonard Birdsong Radio on TalkZone.com. Consumer Debt Counselors is the company that will help you get out of debt. Consumer Debt Counselors is a licensed, accredited nonprofit agency that specializes in educating people about credit and debt and helping people resolve issues with debt, even student loan debt. There are so many federal regulations. Most people have more options than they realize, and Consumer Debt Counselors can uncover all of your eligible solutions, including lowering your payment or getting out of default. If you want a partner that will work with you to achieve financial success, talk to the team at Consumer Debt Counselors. They have an A-plus Better Business Bureau rating, so these guys are the real deal. Your first consultation is free, and all sessions are kept confidential. Give them a call at 1-800-820-9232 or go to ConsumerDebtCounselors.org slash birdsong. The number again is 800-820-9232. 
Although he's been involved in serious criminal law work over the years as a prosecutor, a defense attorney, and a law professor, Leonard Birdsong knows that it's good to stay grounded. That means not always taking criminal law so seriously and instead just having a good laugh at some dumb criminals and their dumber crimes. Several years ago, he began to collect and compile weird and funny criminal law stories. He shares some of them weekly on his TalkZone Internet radio program. And now you can read more of them yourself in one of his 14 humor books. He has two book series, Professor Birdsong's Dumbest Criminal Law Stories and Professor Birdsong's Weird Criminal Law Stories. They're available for purchase in either paperback or Kindle edition by going to the author link on the homepage at leonardbirdsong.com. Leonard knows that you'll get a few good laughs or at least a few chuckles from his collections of dumb and weird criminal law stories. Check them out for yourself by going to the author link at leonardbirdsong.com. Welcome back to Leonard Birdsong Radio on TalkZone.com. Yep, it's Leonard Birdsong back with you on Leonard Birdsong Radio. In this part of the show, I want to talk about fellow who created the greatest lawyer in the world. That greatest lawyer, many of you may have heard, is a fellow by the name of Perry Mason. There have been books about Perry Mason. He was on a TV program. There were radio programs and TV programs and even some movies. Who created Perry Mason? Well, it was a man by the name of Earl Stanley Gardner. Now, I always thought in hearing his name, I knew his name, was Earl, but I always thought it was E-A-R-L, but no, it's not. His name was spelled E-R-L-E, Earl. That's the Norwegian way of spelling it, I guess. His parents or forefathers were from Scandinavia. Earl Stanley Gardner was born in 1889, and he died in 1970. Although critics sneered, rather, and may felt that Earl Stanley Gardner was not a very good writer, Gardner was one of the best-selling writers of all times, and certainly one of the best-selling mystery authors ever. He was best known, of course, for creating the world's most famous fictional lawyer, Perry Mason. If that were all he did, he'd probably still rank a bio on this site that I sort of looked at. Given that Mason in his earliest books was little more than an unlicensed private eye who just happened to practice law. Gardner was born in Massachusetts, but his father's job as a mining engineer took the family all over, sometimes as far as the Klondike. A bit of a rough neck as a lad, Gardner was constantly getting into brawls. He once boasted he was kicked out of Indiana's Valparaiso University Law School for slugging a law professor. He also participated and organized several illegal boxing matches. Earl eventually decided that a little knowledge of the law might be in, ha- in handy, might become in handy, rather. So even though he only finished one semester of law school, he landed a job as a typist at an Oxnard, California law firm. He stuck around, picking up legal knowledge, and after three years without any other formal training, he passed the California bar in 1911. He began to practice law on his own. The fledgling lawyer soon found himself gaining a reputation among the Chinese and Mexican communities of Southern California, and um, 
he developed some long-standing relationships and friendships with some of these people. To his credit, characters from these communities who appeared in his fiction were not the usual stereotype villains popular at the time, but actually appeared as real people. Now, always on the eye to increase his income, Gardner abandoned the law for a short stint, working as a tire salesman, but soon realized he missed the law and returned, this time signing on with a Ventura, California firm. About this time, he also began to write, forcing himself to churn out 4,000 words a night. It took two years, but he made his first sale to the pulps. These were magazines, crime magazines from the 20s, 30s, and 40s, and into the 50s about criminal activity and hit stories that were interesting. Now, although his greater creation, Perry Mason, never appeared in the pages of the pulps, in the early 1930s, Black Mask, a publisher, published a string of six short stories starring crusading defense lawyer Ken Corning, who fought against injustice in a corrupt city. In many ways, this character Corning served as a rough template for Perry Mason. Now, the last year that Earl Stanley Gardner wrote exclusively for the Pulp magazines, they were called Pulps, was 1932. In that year, Gardner... Gardner, rather, earned $20,000, and it may not be a fortune today, but in the Depression of 1932, this was a lot of money. As a matter of fact, it would be like Stephen King these days. In his pulp days, Gardner was notorious for killing off the final heavies with the last bullet in the hero's gun, which led some editors to tease him about how all his good guys seemed to be such bad shots. However, Earl Stanley Gardner's explanation, at three cents a word, yes, he was paid by the word, every time I say bang in the story, I get three cents. If you think I'm going to finish the gun battle while my hero still has 15 cents worth of unexploded ammunition in his gun, you're nuts. <laughs> oh, gosh, writing for the words. All right, so let me go on. I have some more I want to tell about him. The um, In 1933, Earl Stanley Gardner unleashed his first novel called The Case of the Velvet Claws. C-L-A-W-S, which introduced the hard-boiled attorney Perry Mason. But Gardner gradually softened the character, mostly to make him more palatable to the editors of the magazine The Saturday Evening Post, where some of his stories appeared. From the early 50s on, many of Mason's novels were serialized or excerpted in The Saturday Evening Post prior to book publication, a fact that no doubt contributed to the series' success. Though successful movies, radio shows, comic strips, and a hit TV show certainly played their part as well. Now, when I was in law school, that was between 1970 and 1973, reruns of the TV show Perry Mason came on at 4.30 every afternoon, and most of us law students wanted to see the programs. Why? Because Perry Mason never lost a case. He was a criminal lawyer who won every case. Now, going back to Perry Mason, Errol Stanley Gardner made Perry Mason a recurring character 
first in a series of Hollywood films starting in 1930, and then a radio program from 1943 to 1955. In 1954, CBS, CBS rather, proposed transforming Perry Mason to a television soap opera. When Gardner opposed the idea, CBS created something else, and finally, in 1957, Perry Mason became a long-running CBS TV series starring a fellow called Raymond Burr in the title role. Though Burr originally auditioned for the role of District Attorney, uh, District Attorney Hamilton Berger, Gardner reportedly declared he was the embodiment of Perry Mason. Gardner made an unaccredited appearance as a judge in the case of the final fade-out. That was the last episode in 1966. Gardner and his wife um, lived in California, and he died, as I said, in 1970. He's considered one of the best published authors in the 20th century in the United States. Now, why is this important? Lawyers are well-trained to read, write, and create, and to think. Earl Stanley Gardner came up with a character that everyone loved, Perry Mason. Perry Mason never lost a case. He always won. He not only was a great lawyer, it seems he was a great detective without having a private eyes license. But the real irony is... Although Earl Stanley Gardner had his character, Perry Mason, win every case, as a criminal lawyer, Earl Stanley Gardner was a dud. He lost every case. He couldn't win a criminal law case. So I guess that's what spurred him to write and create Perry Mason, who never, ever lost a case. That's probably more than you want to know about Earl Stanley Gardner and... Perry Mason, but when I was in law school, we all looked up to those Perry Mason TV reruns. They were a lot of fun. Some of us won a lot of cases, but no one, no real lawyer wins every case. But at any rate, this is the kind of information you find here on Leonard Birdsong Radio. You can read some of my criminal law stories for free on my blog by going to www.birdsongslaw, one word, birdsongslaw.com. You can read some of my stories for free, and as my ads tell you, you can even buy some of the books. I'm always collecting these stories. That's my hobby. You can also buy the books at leonardbirdsong.com. That's my website. If you want to write to me and tell me about what you like or dislike about the program, go to my um Email, which is lbirdsong22 at gmail.com. That way you can write me and I will write you back. Right now we're going to take another pause. I've got a guest coming on after the break. It's a colleague of mine, an old friend, Jeffrey J. Seward Esquire. We'll talk about his new nonprofit organization that he's formed here in Central Florida. Stay with us. We're on TalkZone.com.
Consumer Debt Counselors is the company that will help you get out of debt. Consumer Debt Counselors is a licensed, accredited nonprofit agency that specializes in educating people about credit and debt and helping people resolve issues with debt, even student loan debt. There are so many federal regulations. Most people have more options than they realize, and Consumer Debt Counselors can uncover all of your eligible solutions, including lowering your payment or getting out of default. If you want a partner that will work with you to achieve financial success, talk to the team at Consumer Debt Counselors. They have an A-plus Better Business Bureau rating, so these guys are the real deal. Your first consultation is free, and all sessions are kept confidential. Give them a call at 1-800-820-9232 or go to ConsumerDebtCounselors.org slash Birdsong. The number again is 800-820-9232. 